And welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. This is episode number 34. 34, my goodness me. I didn't think it would last this long, and perhaps it probably shouldn't have. <laughs> if you're listening to this, you are one of the few. Um, we'll see how this goes. Um, I'm enjoying doing this, obviously, because I keep doing it, but uh, I, I'm not really just doing it to hear myself talk, so... We'll see how it goes. I'm kind of still on a trial period here. So uh, if I continue it, it's because uh, other people are listening and not just me. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, glad to have you with us or glad to have you with me. And once again, my standard disclaimer, strange sound is just me, Joe, my opinions, no one else's. Uh, the opinions expressed here are my own. Uh, not those of my employer, not those of my friends, not those of my neighbors, not those of my family, though some of those people may or may not agree with me. I haven't pulled them. I haven't said a word to any of them. What with COVID, I have barely seen anybody. I haven't even seen my own family. My God, it's like being locked away. Horrendous. What a day. What a time. What a time to be alive. Anyway. Glad to be here. Um, just spent a good part of today wrestling with Verizon, who's my um, my cell carrier, my mobile phone carrier, and uh, apparently I missed I missed my bill last month. Um, I think because the postal service uh, is being skull fucked by Donald Trump, and my uh, bill somehow got lost in the mail. Uh, my hard copy bills are my mnemonic device to remind me that I need to pay my bill. Um, I don't have um, electronic reminders or, or electronic billing on on every account. Some accounts, some of my accounts work that way, some not. And I sort of rely on getting that uh, bill, looking at it, um, you know, sort of marking it up and putting it in a little in a little lineup of bills that I need to pay in a given week. And uh, I didn't receive it last month, apparently. And I didn't receive it this month either. So I've missed two paper bills. Um, two bills not delivered by my um, by, by our postal service. And, you know, I realize I'm not, I'm not calling out the postal service so much as I am calling out the administration because they've obviously skull fucked them once again. And, uh, you know, we know how that works. They're, they're attacking the postal service so that mail-in voting will be, uh, problematic this year because they see that as a threat. Or when I see, when I say they, what I mean is he, Donald Trump sees the Postal Service is a threat to his continuance as president, which um, now that he has the job, he wants to keep it. And one of the ways he sees um, 
a path forward in that position is by attacking the Postal Service. Just like every other institution he's attacked, uh, he's tried to hobble it and make it ineffective by, you know, putting some um, major donor in charge of it. Uh, That jackass that runs a logistics company who knows exactly where to, you know, set the timed explosives uh, within within an organization like the Postal Service. And yeah, so apparently they've been very successful because my Verizon bill has not arrived for two months. And I guess I sh- I'll have to keep an eye on all my other bills as well to make sure that I'm not missing them because that's my, uh, as I said, that's my reminder, right? My reminder that I need to pay a bill is that I've received it in the mail and, uh, you know, I open it up and I <laughs> I put it in line. <laughs> I put it in a lineup so that I'll remember to pay it. I pay them all online, but uh, I, I like to have the paper reminder uh, apparently, that's not reliable anymore because Donald Trump is skull fucking the postal service, and they're not operating at optimal efficiency. So, I want to just say to you folks out there, anyone who's doing a mail-in ballot, when you hear the sound of my voice on this, the episode, um, episode thirty-four, um, <laughs> when you hear the sound of my voice this uh, Monday or Tuesday when I post this. Um, please, if you're thinking of voting by mail, mark your ballot and either drop it off today in a designated drop box or, you know, at your board of elections, whatever they allow you to do in your respective state or drop it in the mail, but do it today, please. They have made the post office a lot less efficient. Um, through their manipulations, even though they claim to have like undone a lot of what they what, a lot of what they did to advantage Trump in the uh, mail-in balloting, um, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I think uh, I think what they've done is uh, is making a lot less effective than it was even six months ago. So, and the proof to me is that uh, you know I've missed two of my mobile phone bills (laughs) and they actually, and this is Verizon. They actually shut off my phone. They shut down my phone. I wasn't receiving texts for a couple of days and I was thinking, Oh, that's odd. I usually receive like a notification to uh, fill out a COVID um, survey uh, from my employer. And I didn't receive it like two days in a row. And I thought, Oh, that's strange. They must have some problem with their texting system. And I would just go in through my phone to the same form, sign in and, and fill it out without the prompt. Um, but apparently that was because Verizon shut me down. They didn't notify me in advance. They just shut me down. They shut down my uh, my phone service today. Um, they shut down my texting service earlier this week with no notification. Uh, they didn't contact me and say, oh, you forgot to pay your bill. They just... Shut my phone down. Uh, I would dump them, except that there's all the other services are like that too. I mean, the other major service around here right now is Spectrum, and Spectrum sucks. You know, Spectrum is is my um, my landline provider and my cable provider and my internet provider, and they they blow too. So it's like trading one set of problems for another. Um, 
I don't want to get into that too much, but uh, believe me, this is just... <laughs> um, these corporations are are rapacious and um, abusive and unreliable. Um, they take your money. And mind you, uh, I've been a Verizon customer for decades. I've been a Verizon customer for about 30 years. And... I almost never miss a bill. I've been paying on time, you know, cash on the barrel head, month after month, for year after year, decade after decade. I missed one bill, and they shut me down without notice. So this is the type of people that we're dealing with here. Anyway, I don't want to get into that too much. Um, Just to let you know, the Postal Service uh, is no longer as reliable as it was before Trump. So if you are doing a mail-in ballot, for God's sake, fill it out now, bring it in, hand carry it in to the Board of Elections, or bring it to a designated drop box and, and make your vote count. Don't trust the mail to get it there. If you have to trust the mail, get it in the mail today. While you've got seven or eight days to get it to the Board of Elections. But my recommendation would be either vote early, if you've got that option, or um, fill out your mail-in ballot and uh, put it in a Dropbox or bring it right to the Board of Elections. Anyway, so what a week we've had, right? Another week. Another great week in America. Yes, we had the spectacle of the second and last presidential debate of the 2020 season. And we've seen a lot of debates this year, right? We saw a lot of Democratic debates this year. Um, the, the primary process was um, a, a seemingly endless series of debates involving um large numbers of candidates. <laughs> um, with a somewhat unsatisfactory conclusion, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but we did see a, a lot of sort of back and forth between um, some of the major candidates and a lot of, lot of really almost nameless runners-up. Um, some of them better than others but mostly just strange. Um, I mean, you had your Tim Ryans and your, you know, um, there was was a number of people there. I'm forgetting, I'm I'm blanking on their names right now because it's just so many of them. Um, There were candidates who had um, interesting um, single-issue candidacies, um, like like the governor of... of, um, Washington state was focused entirely on climate change, which was a good issue to choose if you're going to choose one issue. Right. But that's, that's great. You know, I mean, I, I thought he contributed something in that way. Um, I thought Castro contributed something by focusing on, on immigration and being, more granular about it and a bit more passionate about it than you you might have expected. I mean, he wasn't exactly the greatest housing secretary in history, but he he acquitted himself pretty well uh, during the course of 
of that, you know, from a, from my perspective of, as a leftist and far to the left of Castro, I'd say, uh, Julian Castro, um, I'd say, you know, he did a pretty good job. And, you know, I mean, we saw, we saw the back and forth. Um, we saw, uh, highs and lows. Um, but this past week was the final debate of the 2020 season. Um, Trump finally agreed to, uh, to show up and um, put up with the fact that he he had to be asked um, difficult questions and had to respond to difficult questions. I think the consensus is that he was a little less of a mad dog this time, but he was still kind of a mad dog. I mean, the man, <clears throat> he is, <laughs> he is so steeped in, the uh, right-wing echo chamber, he must spend so much time just trawling through the right-wing cyberspace and uh, watching Fox News and listening to Limbaugh or whatever. He must just spend so much of his time doing this or else listening to people who do that, um, that he, he thinks that we can all see what's inside of his head. So when he talks about the conspiracy theories that are cooked up in the fever swamps of the right, um, he's really speaking to an inside audience. But when he's in a national debate with a national audience, um, that includes a lot of people who don't dwell in that fever swamp, um, it becomes completely incoherent. So a lot of what he was saying was just kind of non sequitur. I mean, I... It's like when he was um, out on the campaign trail and saying, hey, Bruce Orr resigned, you know, isn't that great news? And I remember standing there scratching my head saying, who the hell is Bruce Orr? I have no idea who that is. I had no idea. I had to, had to look it up and it was like a Justice Department person, you know, that was somehow tangentially related to the uh, Russia investigation, but I don't know how. Um, but he he expects that, I mean, I don't even think his crowd was fully checked out on who that was. <laughs> I mean, there was there was this usual cheering section that would cheer at whatever he says, right? But they um, I, I think they they sounded a little nonplussed by that. It's the debate was very much like that. I mean, he was just spouting, you know, um talking points random talking points about Hunter Biden and Burisma and payments from China and, you know, the probably the mayor of Moscow sending money to Biden and him getting a big cut from the money that got sent to Hunter. And, it, you know, it's, he wasn't even as coherent about that because I've heard some of these conspiracy theory narratives and he was leaving out the narrative. He was just like throwing in a catchphrase here and there. Um, and it, it didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> it really didn't make a lot of sense. It was, uh, it was hard to follow. So I think, I think it was, uh, I think it was kind of a difficult night for, for Trump. I, I think, I don't think it was the best night for Biden either. He was a little, he was a little murky, um, in places. Uh, he got a couple of good lines in, but you know, um, 
it was it was a problematic debate, I'd say, in a lot of ways. But Trump, you know, was trying to hang this kind of corruption case on him, but he wasn't making a case. He was just sort of randomly throwing um, bogus facts out, out out there that he heard on either Breitbart or um, Fox News or whatever the hell he was listening to that day. And uh, he was probably prepped on that and just forgot the connective tissue between the various pseudo-facts that he was throwing out there, the alternative facts, um, as Kellyanne Conway might say. <sighs> yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, of course... My attention was uh, largely drawn to some of the things that never get talked about in in these debates and and that are sort of non-issues as far as uh, various candidates are concerned. I mean, I've talked many times on this podcast about how Biden is kind of a blank slate when it comes to foreign policy, at least as far as this campaign is concerned. Um, I know that the campaign platform probably has quite a bit of um, foreign policy in it, but his campaign website, as far as I know, still does not. I could look it up again, but um, rather than take the time now to do that, um, my guess is that it's about where it was before. And I, I don't really think they they want to talk about it because they think that this is mostly a domestic policy uh, election, at least in terms of, and it's, it, to the extent that it's a policy election at all. I mean, it's really, they're making it a question of, you know, who is fit to be president of the United States. And their argument is that Donald Trump is not, and Joe Biden is. And uh, that Joe Biden is not Donald Trump. And that's that's fine. But they did sort of get into some foreign policy discussion uh, during this debate. And I, I wanted to just sort of return to a little bit of that because it touches on something that I've talked about before about Trump and uh, maybe tangentially about Biden. On the issue of North Korea, <laughs> there was kind of an interesting exchange about you know 15 minutes, 14 or 15 minutes into the debate it was a question from uh, Kristen Welker about North Korea, where she had posed this question to President Trump. And she said, you've met with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un three times. You've talked about your beautiful letters with him. You've touted the fact that there hasn't been a war, a long-range missile test. And yet North Korea recently rolled out its biggest ever intercontinental ballistic missile and continues to develop its nuclear arsenal. Do you see that as a betrayal of the relationship you forged? And of course, Trump said no. Um, and then uh, he went into... Um, a long riff about him meeting with Obama in the White House and Obama describing North Korea as the biggest problem we have. And Trump uh, said uh, Obama indicated we will be in a war with North Korea. Guess what? It would be a nuclear war. And he does have plenty of nuclear capability. In the meantime, I have a very good relationship with him. Different kind of a guy. Uh, blah, blah, blah. He sort of went into that. <laughs> He he took a kind of an odd turn in that in that answer where he said about two months ago and this is a quote and about two months ago he broke into a certain area. Huh? They said, Oh, there's going to be trouble. I said, No, they're not, because he's not going to do that. 
And I was right. Look, instead of being a war where millions of people, Seoul is 25 miles away, millions and millions, 32 million people, millions of people would be dead right now. We don't have a war and I have a good relationship. Okay, well, uh, what he's saying there is objectively true. I mean, I I don't know about the 32 million people. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to fact check that. This, uh, let's just say that there are millions of people you know, whose, whose lives are at stake in this, um, in this conflict. It's true that there hasn't been a war and that's a good thing. And I personally think it's a good thing to have some kind of relationship, even with people that you don't like when you're a president. And, you know, there's, there's a hostility obviously between the United States and North Korea. There's a long history of that. So I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think, Trump's best moment as president was when he decided while the, I believe the South Korean delegation was working on um, the problem at the White House. I believe this is, I think this was in 2017. He um, reportedly decided, well, uh, you know, I will meet with, I will meet with Kim Jong-un on the occasion of that meeting. And I think he sort of like went against the recommendations of, of all of his uh, advisors, um, all of his Republican sort of reactionary advisors who uh, would never agree to that sort of thing. And, you know, I thought that that was, that was something that only somebody like Trump would do in, in the sense that only they would break away from the diplomatic sort of group think enough to decide, well, you know, why the hell don't I just meet with him? Um, only somebody like him would be, would not be so hidebound as to, as to stick with the very well-established groove that is, um, U.S. North Korean relations. Um, the sort of toxic relationship between our two countries. So, you know, and, and that's for, for that, he deserves some credit, Right. Kristen Welker went on to sort of bring Joe Biden into this. And Biden's Biden's response to this was um, pretty much right down the, uh, the usual pathway, right? He said, because I'd make it clear, which we were making clear to China, they had to be a part of the deal because I made it clear as a spokesperson for the illustration for the illustration when I went to China that I said, why are you moving your missile defense up so close? Why are you moving your forces? Why are you moving more forces here? Why are you continue to do military maneuvers with South Korea? I said, because North Korea is a problem and we're going to, yeah, see, this is a little scrambled. I think he's saying that China was asking him, why are you moving missile defense up so close? You know, this is probably what happened during the Obama administration. Um, why do you continue doing the military maneuvers with South Korea? Biden said, because North Korea is a problem and we are going to continue to do it so we can control them. We're going to make sure we can control them and make sure they they cannot hurt us. And so if you want to do something about it, step up and help. If not, it's going to continue. What has he done, meaning Trump? He's legitimized North Korea. He's talked about his good buddy who's a thug. He's a thug. And he talks about how we're better off, and they have much more capable missiles, able to reach 
us territory, our territory, maybe he meant, much more easily than they ever did before. Okay, uh, then uh, Welker follows up and says, would you meet with, uh, would you meet, you wouldn't meet with Kim Jong-un without preconditions. Are there any conditions under which you would meet with him? Uh, Biden said, on the condition that he would agree that we would be drawing down his nuclear capacity, the North Korean, the Korean Peninsula should be a nuclear-free zone. Okay, now this is an interesting comment because it's not a nuclear-free zone, even if they, even the Korean, if the North Koreans got rid of their nuclear weapons, because you know we forward base nuclear weapons, and for all anyone knows, you know they're sitting in, you know they're sitting in one of our many ships in South Korean harbors. Um, I don't know whether we actually stockpile them on the Korean Peninsula, but we certainly stockpile them very close, either in Guam or uh, one of the other scattering of bases, you know, all around that region, certainly ready to drop on North Korea at a moment's notice. So <laughs> uh, it, it's a it's a little ridiculous to say that North Korea would need to get rid of their nuclear capability to achieve the goal of a nuclear-free Korean Peninsula. That's ridiculous. And uh, Trump uh, countered with, they tried to meet with him, meaning the Obama administration. He wouldn't do it, meaning Kim Jong-un. He didn't like Obama. He didn't like him. He wouldn't do it. Okay, so this is <laughs> this is illustrative of what Trump's problem is. You see, his willingness to go against the the grain of American foreign policy um, is a positive, right? But the fact that he can never think any he can never think of any issue outside of his own personal relationships is the downfall of this, right? I mean, he could have made a historic move towards peace on the Korean Peninsula. All the pieces were in place for that. You've got Moon Jae-in as president of South Korea. Obama never had that, right? Obama had the the previous president, uh, Park, who was a right-wing sort of daughter of the dictator <laughs> and a kleptocrat besides, um, who's, I think, I believe in jail right now. Um, because of the crimes committed during her uh, administration. And, uh, you know, she wouldn't have agreed to bury the hatchet with North Korea under any circumstances. Now, bear in mind, North Korea's main gripe is with the United States. Uh, that's who they want the peace treaty with. It's, they're not so much concerned with the South. But, you know, obviously, you need to have some kind of agreement between North and South and they have set up under Moon Jae-in, they have actually established a framework for coming to some kind of agreement that would defuse this bomb that is actually the, the Korean conflict that's never actually been settled um, since the war in the 1950s. Um, it's, it's a powder keg, right? Moon Jae-in is probably one of the best leaders um, in the world today. And he has worked overtime to try to come to some kind of accommodation 
and and some kind of a solution with the North Koreans. And and they have they made significant progress um, a couple of years ago. And I think it was really from his prompting to a certain extent that that Trump felt like he could take the initiative and meet with Kim Jong-un, which he did three times, as Welker said in this debate. Um, and that's that's great. You know, it's great to have a summit. It's great to sort of create a relationship with this head of state. Terrific. But the problem is, because Trump treats everything as some kind of personal relationship, you know, like, like Mr. Dealmaker, he forgets the fact that he has an entire administration beneath him that is oriented towards confronting North Korea, that that's the official policy of the United States. And unless you change that, and unless you bring your um, bureaucracy with you, unless you have advisors and representatives within the State Department that are oriented towards finding a way of diffusing this conflict, which is really a conflict between the North Koreans and us more than anything else. That's where the essential conflict is. That's who they want a treaty with, right? That's who they want a peace agreement with. We've never signed a peace agreement with them. And the whole thing that, uh, you know, when Biden talks about getting China involved, we're back to that concept of like multi-party talks. And the reason why the North Koreans don't like that is because that is not what the problem is. That is not to their, from their perspective. And I'm, again, you know, it's an oppressive state. I I understand that. Uh, I'm not a big supporter of of Kim Jong Un or his regime, but just seeing it from their point of view, they they were bombed to, into oblivion in the 1950s. They're still under the gun right now from the United States, which is the the strongest power in the world. Has massive armaments pointed at them and has a has had the crosshairs on them for years and decades in fact um you know they want to make a deal with us trump could have had that deal what he needed to do was to clear his state department out of neocons and proto-fascists like pompeo like bolton now is biden going to do any better on that front I doubt it. He's probably going to undermine what's been done thus far. Because they want to... There's a couple of reasons. One is that that's the sort of path of least resistance for American foreign policy. For any American president, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, is to confront the North Koreans. That's that's part of what you do as president of the United States in this imperial era. But also because that draws a distinction with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is perceived to be the friend of Kim Jong-un, right? So how do you draw a distinction with that? You you attack him from the right. You say, okay, well, you're, you know, we're not going to be his friend. Just like we're going to confront Putin, you know? Uh, it's it's kind of the same deal. Here's the deal, as, uh, <laughs> as Biden would say. Uh, this, this exchange... Uh, you know, remember, I think it was Trita Parsi who was t- live tweeting during this and uh, said something like, oh boy, this 
gives you some idea of what we have in store for us one way or the other with foreign policy. Yeah, that's uh, extremely problematic. And, you know, it's conflict is not has not been avoided here entirely, right? Conflict has not been avoided. But when Joe Biden is like uh, uh, comparing Kim Jong-un to Hitler, which is what he did during this debate, that was his next response. We had a good relationship with Hitler before he, in fact, invaded Europe. (laughs) Come on. Come on, man. (laughs) It's basically saying uh, Kim Jong-un is Hitler. Okay. Well, that's uh, going a little bit far, maybe. Uh, But the... (laughs) Uh, Dear me. We're in for it one way or the other. I mean, we're going to have to really apply some pressure. If, If Biden is elected, if he does get dragged over the finish line a little more than a week from now. We'll see um, if he does become president of the United States. We're going to have to push him on this. And we're going to have to push him pretty hard. No lie. Um, Because (laughs) this is a conflict that can quickly cost millions of lives, as as Trump pointed out in his own lizard-like way. Um, but you know, it's, it's the sort of thing that's, that's also a problem with Trump because Trump can turn on a dime, right? I mean, if Trump gets reelected and Kim Jong-un hasn't done what Trump's state department wants him to do, he could go back to, you know, calling him little, little rocket man again and threatening to use fire and fury again. Uh, we could be right back to where we started from, which was a pretty bad place. So, I mean, what Trump managed to do was create a crisis out of what was sort of like a proto-crisis. He created a crisis, um, an imminent crisis, and then he backed off of it. And he did a big show. He went over there and he shook hands with Kim Jong-un and he sort of walked across the um, the dividing line between North and South Korea uh, with him and he spent time with him and talked to him and and talked about how how they have such a great relationship. Well, you know, that's great. Terrific. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is that it doesn't translate to policy. So either way, you end up with this bad policy that just never changes. And it's very much the same with Iran. I think I talked about this last time, but... Uh, Policy on Iran is just ossified. It's just set in stone. It's akin to, I mean, our attitude towards these countries is is akin to uh, the sort of Republican aggrievement over, you know, the loss of the presidency in 1992 or the um, failure of the Bork nomination back in 1987. Um things that they sort of clung to after that for decades, you know, sort of pointing back at that at the point as the point at which uh, the Democrats really sort of turned it into a knife fight instead of some kind of congenial, you know, um, contest between two parliamentary parties, which is total bullshit. But anyway, I see, I see our policy vis-a-vis Iran 
and vis-a-vis North Korea as being similar to that. We act like the aggrieved party even though we skull-fucked both of them. (laughs) I mean, we skull-fucked Iran. We did. We did this. We we skull-fucked North Korea in a worse way. We destroyed the place in the 1950s. Go back and read about it. Uh, Read Bruce Cummings on this. Check it out. He's written a number of good books um, on the Korean conflict. Um, And it's it's horrifying what happened uh, in the Korean conflict. It's just absolutely horrifying. And you can see how they ended up where they ended up. But as I, I guess my broader point is simply that um, from a foreign policy standpoint, this debate was kind of terrifying. We're in for problems, and I think the only thing that somewhat tempers the danger, you know, sort of um, lessens the danger a little bit, is just the aversion to creating new wars and starting new massive deployments because of the uh, the sort of vague awareness that both parties have that that's that would not be popular because people are tired of the deployments and they're tired of the endless wars and that's why Trump runs on it and that's why Biden essentially runs away from it you know he doesn't want to talk about it um and that's, you know, I mean, neither one of them is particularly committed to ending these wars. As you can see from the fact that Trump has been president for four years and hasn't really done anything. I mean, he's feigned ending deployments, but never really, never really gets around to it. Um, and I doubt that Biden would do much either, unless pushed. Uh, the only thing that I think we can have some confidence in is that they won't start new ones because they know how unpopular it is. They know that people don't want that. I mean, there's a lot more I could say about this debate. I'm not going to because um, that's about all the time I'm going to spend on it. But I mean, in short form, it's (laughs) it's, from a foreign policy perspective, it it was very disturbing. I kind of agree with Trita Parsi on this. from a domestic policy perspective, it was ridiculous, of course. I mean, Trump really doesn't know what socialized medicine is. He doesn't know what Medicare is. He's, you know, his, every time he opens his mouth, he demonstrates how little he knows other than just a few random tropes from the right. He's got gutter smarts. He's got a sense of, you know, he's a car salesman. He's constantly talking about you know, how, you know, a car that's painted white looks dirtier than a car that's painted black or something. I don't know. <laughs> that sort of thing. I mean, he's trying to sell you on the unit that's on the lot, you know, not the unit that isn't on the lot. He wants to sell you that car. He wants to move that car today. He wants you to sign on to that car today. And he'll say anything to get you to do it. That's Trump. Right? You know it. So I won't go into detail about those comments, but I have to say a lot of what he said was just like kind of gobsmacking. I just wanted to touch on that North Korea point and, and, the, and the broader foreign policy discussion that happened during this debate because it was 
to the extent that it was substantive, it was kind of terrifying. I think uh, what we're seeing is, on the one hand, a continuation of what Trump is doing right now vis-a-vis North Korea, and on the other hand, with Biden, probably back to um, something like full confrontation and the sort of five-party talks or, you know, regional talks with China involved because we know that China can lean on the North Koreans, that sort of thing. So worrisome. Anyway, that's all I've got to say about it. I want to hear what you have to say. I say this every week, and I really do mean it. I I hope you'll go to anchor.fm slash strange sound and leave a one-minute voice message. I'll be glad to hear it. I'll play it on the show. As long as it's, uh, you know, playable, I'll play it on the show. Uh, I'll certainly respond to it on the show. Um, I'm open to having having a conversation. I mean, even like a... You know, I'm I'm glad to have a conversation with somebody uh, via Zoom. I'll post that on the show. I mean, I don't, I'm open to anything. Let's turn this into a conversation. You can find out more about it about the show at Anchor.fm/slash/strange-sound. You can find out more about me and my various other endeavors at Big-Green.net. Um, just click on the podcast tab and you'll see links to strange sound and also our more ridiculous podcasts and uh, i'd be happy to hear from you there's a lot of ways to get in touch with me um you can go on twitter and find me at strange sound pod just reach out to me glad to hear from you hope you have a good week hang in there we'll talk to you soon <laughs>